0: We, we had called ourselves Ranger. We were, you know, playing shows around the Bay Area called, you know, we were called Ranger. But then um, right before we were getting ready to release our, our Dawn Patrol album, which they printed up 10,000 copies that just said Ranger. On the Dawn, Dawn Patrol Ranger, you know what I mean? And so, so, so we we're just getting ready to do that, and we opened up a Billboard magazine, and there was a band called the Rangers, and they had had the name, yeah, huge, big, thing, country band, and they had had the name, their fathers had the name their grandfathers before the American Civil War had the name. I mean, it was like, I mean, they had it forever, and we're like, we're this is horrible, this is bad. But we would had the we had the song Night Ranger on the album. We'd written the song Night Ranger on the record, so we said, let's just put Night on top of Ranger and we're, I called up I called up Kelly and it was like Kelly we'll just put a night on top of Ranger it'll be fine and Kelly's like this is a horrible idea where this is terrible no no we should just do it he says yeah okay and I'd, hung, I'd hang up the phone going this is a terrible idea this is horrible this is gonna destroy everything but we did we put the night on and it's the best thing that ever happened
1: you're listening to the growing up rock podcast with Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney now Crank it up.
2: Well, Sonny, we made it to 2024 and this year it's time to kick off a brand new album series. Let's not keep the people waiting any longer. This year, we've decided to cover one of your Bay Area favorites, one of my favorite bands all together. And we're talking about Night Ranger. Are you excited about this album series in 2024, Mr. Hollywood?
3: I am because there is a whole middle piece of their discography that i have not heard in a while i'm a little scared and excited at the same time because i kind of cherry picked a couple of songs a few days ago and i was like "Ooh, that's going to be very interesting it won't be Def leopard slang interesting but it'll be interesting
2: no i have to agree with you and out of all the bands that we've done over the course this is our fourth year doing this i would say that night ranger is probably The I guess, lesser known of everything that we've done because we've done some massive bands, right? With Van Halen, Def Leppard last year celebrating the 40th anniversary. So the 40th anniversary covered a lot of bands, some very famous, some not so famous. But Night Ranger is one of those bands where you sort of know the name. Everybody knows Sister Christian. But I think what people are going to find out, especially those that aren't as familiar with Night Ranger, is that the band is so much more than Sister Christian. I'm excited to dig deeper into some of those lesser known albums that you talked about, the Neverlands and the Sevens and and, uh, Feeding Off the Mojo, records like that as much as I am revisiting these earlier records in the band's history. So I think this is going to be a fun series. We've got a whole lot of different guests lined up for the entire year. Some that have been with us throughout the course of all four years and all four album series. And then we've got new folks and joining us on this debut Dawn Patrol Night Ranger album that kicks it all off. We've got two new people to the podcast and i'm excited about that we've got josh and brent from fans in motion podcast which is an all night ranger podcast and from what i understand it's the podcast we didn't know we needed hollywood (laughs) yeah it's the number one night ranger podcast in the world i'm sure It's the only Night Ranger podcast in the world. You didn't have to go there. It's still number one. You didn't have to go there. Except for us at the end of every month this year. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Brent, welcome. Welcome. Do you guys have
4: Venmo accounts or anything like that you need? Some some money sent over? I use
5: Cash App. (laughs) PayPal. Josh, welcome. Listen, don't make me have the uh, Night Ranger powers to be send you a cease and desist. Um, We are the number one Night Ranger uh, podcast out there, especially in the Tri-Cities area. So, you know. Literally.
2: (laughs) Until last Sunday of every month this year.
5: There you go. (laughs) Listen, a little competition is always good.
2: So, fellas, I'm super happy to have you guys on the podcast. I expect that you'll be able to fill in the blanks. And there will be a lot of blanks where Sonny and I fall short on our Night Ranger knowledge. Or I just plain and simple get it wrong or pronounce it wrong. Uh, And that's the way it rolls here at uh, Grown Up Rock.
3: (laughs) Yeah, there'll be a lot of extra S's where there shouldn't be any S's. Trust me.
5: If we don't know the answers, we will make some up.
4: Our (laughs) version of Steven is Josh. So I'm well accustomed to it.
2: All right, so all year long, we'll be covering 12 Night Ranger studio albums with a bonus one because they actually have 13 studio albums. Night Ranger, American hard rock band, formed in San Francisco in 1979. You know the big hit, Sister Christian. Members Brad Gillis, Kelly Keegi, Jack Blades, currently Eric Levy on keyboards, and kerry kelly on other guitars i've seen this band a lot of times over the years and even more recently and they're a band that's out there and still kicking ass completely live and i absolutely love it so let's get into a little bit of of each other's history with uh, night ranger i'll start with you brent what's your history not only with the band night ranger but with dawn patrol in particular
4: Okay, well, it's actually coming up on an anniversary, actually. I probably bought Dawn Patrol the week it came out. Okay. Steamed the video, Don't Tell Me You Love Me on MTV. I was familiar with Brad Gillis playing with Ozzy, and it was a great tune. So I went to a store called Record Theater, purchased a record, called um, our other co-host, Andy, who's not here, who's been a lifelong friend of mine. I'm like, you need to know this band. Well. A week later, Kiss tickets went on sale for Dayton, Ohio, on the Creatures of the Night Tour, and coincidentally, Night Ranger was opening, January 9th, 1983. So, I got to go to my first Kiss show, seeing a brand new band, and I knew every song on the island. I think I was probably the only only guy there. That's, that's the way you feel, you know, when something's new. And got to see Night Ranger on the Dom Patrol tour. It was fantastic. Nice. Not to mention seeing KISS in their last makeup tour with um Sonny Pooney's favorite Vinnie Vincent on guitar.
3: Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> By the way, I love in your
2: background there that you have Kiss Asylum. That's
3: awesome. I love that.
4: That's top five KISS record. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion.
2: How about you, Josh? What's your story with uh Night Ranger in general, but then with Dawn Patrol?
5: So, you know, I'm a little bit younger than uh, you know, you old folks. You know, I was five years old when dawn patrol came out you know i was always into music yeah i'm that was probably 1983 midnight madness my aunt who was only 10 years older than me and knew i liked music came out i'd been what six seven and she's like hey there's a band i want you to listen to i think you'll like and i'm like leave me alone you know i'm playing with my hot wheels or something right and then the next day there's you know she was at school or it was a weekend or whatever when she was gone. I went back and I found those two albums, Dawn Patrol and Midnight Madness, and um, I put them on. And I'm like, what? You know, in my seven year old mind, what the hell is this? This isn't what I see on MTV because I like to watch MTV, but it was Kaja Gugu and Cindy Lopper, and you know, even back then, I'm like, all right, I think this kind of sucks. Where's Wanted Man by Rat? You know, it was just something I hadn't heard before, and I was immediately hooked. I begged my mom, my grandma. Take me, go see Night Ranger to Ohio State Fair. So at eight years old, we waited all day out in the sun for a free concert. and I saw Night Ranger. So that's really how everything started with Dawn Patrol. I mean, those were my first two records, Dawn Patrol and Midnight Madness. Now, again, I was five when it came out, so I don't have, you know, the kiss story and all that stuff like Brent does. But But we were both at that Ohio State show. Yeah. And I was
2: eight years old. So did you get Dawn Patrol and Midnight Madness at the same time?
5: Correct. Well, I stole them from my aunt, basically.
2: Okay. Did you notice a considerable difference in the two records?
5: Probably not much back then. Yeah. I think I gravitated more towards Midnight Madness. Okay. Those two albums, since I was, what, six, seven? Yeah. They have been with me basically my entire life. So just hearing it was... (sighs) life-changing
4: and what's what's crazy is i'm 55 years old so yeah I, I cut my teeth on kiss i'm sure many of the people you've had on your show have and josh cut his teeth on night ranger and what was it revenge is when you finally got the kiss
5: when i started getting in a kiss it was like the end of hot in the shade but revenge was my first album i was 15
2: yeah So, Sonny, how about you? What's your history with Night Ranger in general and then Dawn Patrol in particular?
3: Yeah, as I sit here today, you know, I live in Ohio now, but I grew up in the Bay Area. So, I was in the Bay Area from 1980 to, what, 2021? I'm growing up in the Bay Area. I'm an MTV kid. I'm getting into music at 1984. Sister Christian's all over MTV. I'm looking for my bands because I live in San Francisco, so I'm getting into Sammy, I'm getting into Y&T, I'm getting into Journey. I'm being a Night Ranger fan probably was going to be a foregone conclusion anyway because you're looking for that, right? And you would think that Sister Christian was number one in the world for the next fifteen years because it didn't stop playing on Bay Area stations ever. Now owning Dawn Patrol, you know. By the time I'm listening to Sister Christian, Midnight Madness is over and uh, Seven Wishes is about to come out. By the time Seven Wishes is coming out, I'm getting into like Whitesnake and Guns of Roses. And so I don't really even super get into Night Ranger till big life and I'm going backwards. So the first time I saw Night Ranger live, Tesla opened 87 Cocker Pavilion. We lived right near the Conquer Pavilions. I basically walked to the venue.
2: What Night Ranger tour was that?
3: Big Life, 87. Okay. Now, the weird part, very similar to YNT, the weird part with Night Ranger is I really start going to a lot of shows starting 87, 88. Night Ranger is basically done by then. (laughs) They're off the grid by the time I'm really going to shows. So- One of my favorite bands of all time. I've only seen them 11 times, and I've seen them more after the 90s, after 96, than I saw them before 96, just because of the time frame of when I got into them. But if I would have got into them like in
2: 82, 83, I'd probably see them 40 times. So my history is more similar to Brent's. I knew about Brad Gillis first because of Speak of the Devil from Ozzy. That was the Aussie record that really got me into all the old Sabbath. And so that's the first time I heard Brad Gillis. And then I saw Don't Tell Me You Love Me on MTV. And that was the first time I heard Night Ranger. And that was enough for me to go out and pick up the album when it came out. So I picked up Dawn Patrol when it came out. I want to say I had the cassette and I was sold. I was hooked. Uh, it kicked off, uh, with Don't Tell Me You Love Me and, and went straight into all the rest of the tunes. And yeah, that's all I needed. Now I didn't see the band live because I grew up in a small town in Florida and they weren't opening any of the concerts in my region so the first time i got the opportunity to see night ranger live was as a as a headliner on the midnight madness tour they headlined a uh arena in biloxi mississippi and that was the first time that i got to see him live i met the band out back by the buses i think i got them to sign my midnight madness uh cassette that i still have So that was my first opportunity uh, in seeing Night Ranger. And then I've seen them probably. I'm like Sonny, I've seen them more, you know, once they got reunited and got back on the road because they play so damn often nowadays. I've seen them way more now than I ever did in the early days. But I did see a headlining tour with Midnight Madness and I did see they played uh and I can remember this specifically they headlined the Fox Theater here in Atlanta which is a beautiful old theater and they headlined it on the um Seven Wishes tour uh so I saw them twice on that Seven Wishes tour if I'm remembering correctly uh you know my memory's a little fuzzy <laughs> from way back then but Uh, I saw them headline an arena, and I saw them headline the Fox Theater, and I thought they were amazing uh, back then because, you know, they, they came out of the genie bottle and stuff at the beginning of the show, and it was just, it was killer. So that's my most vivid memories and my early beginnings with Night Ranger, and then, you know, probably all in all, I've probably seen the band maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 times at this point over the years i would guess
1: please make sure you hit that follow button to subscribe to growing up rock podcast so you don't miss an episode
2: so let's get into some of the basic facts of this album and brent and josh i'll go to you for extra facts and fill in the blanks where i don't give enough but The album was released in November of 1982. It was recorded in Los Angeles, California. The length of the record is 40 minutes and 30 seconds, which to me is, man, that's just a perfect length of an album back then. Uh, The label is Boardwalk, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes along with that record label Boardwalk, which uh, we may get into eventually, but I'm not going to get into it right now. The producer is Pat Glaser, however you want to pronounce it, and he would go on, I think, to produce the next couple of Night Ranger records after this one, if I'm not mistaken. The peak position on Billboard's Hot 200 was number 38 for Dawn Patrol. I don't have the amount of albums that this record has sold overall, but I have to think that it's platinum at this point. But Maybe. I don't know. I couldn't find the information as to how many it it sold at this point.
3: No, even Midnight Madness is only platinum. I don't think they've gone back and had it recertified. My guess is, but Dawn Patrol would be platinum if they had it recertified. But uh, everywhere you look, Midnight Madness and Seven Wishes are the only platinum records, and that's hard for me to believe.
2: I just figured that uh, with the success of Midnight Madness, it may have pushed dawn patrol to at least gold or platinum i mean it did have don't tell me you love me on it i know they didn't have any other major hits on this record uh and i wouldn't consider don't tell me you love me a major hit a rock hit but i just figured the success might have pushed it over the line as it does happen with a lot of bands but uh that was it uh The singles from Dawn Patrol are Don't Tell Me You Love Me released in December of 82, Sing Me Away, which was released in April of 83, and then the last single released was Young Girl in Love released in July of 83. So you can see out of that Don't Tell Me You Love Me, they obviously had traction with that single because they didn't release another one until April, which is a pretty good period of time in between, and then... Sing Me Away, I guess, didn't do what they expected because, again, in July, they ended up releasing yet another single. So uh, they just never really got, I don't think, the traction they wanted from the singles off this uh, first record.
5: Now, are you guys collectors at all?
2: I am not. I can be.
5: You know, you're talking about the singles here. The 45 of Young Girl in Love is actually harder to find a a standard copy like a store copy than the promo copy. Wow. There's more promo copies than actual stock copies. Um so if you're a collector out there, it's kind of reversed. Everybody wants the promos, but the stock copy is the one that's harder to get. Which just means that that was when Payola
2: was nice and yeah. big and they pushed a bunch of promos out to stores and <laughs> you know, they could recognize the sales. That's uh yeah, okay. So before we get into the album cover and talk about the album cover and the back sleeve and everything, maybe it's important for us to understand how we got to this debut album, Dawn Patrol, because there were some demos and things that went around beforehand. If you don't know, the band basically originated from a kind of pop funk band called rubicon out of the bay area and that consisted of it consisted of several members but kelly and brad and jack were a part of rubicon and then they went off when rubicon disbanded and did their own thing a band called stereo i know that uh josh you have some information regarding this original demo you want to talk about that a little bit
5: There's a couple demos, and you just brought up stereo. Stereo morphs into Ranger, Mm -hmm. Ranger morphs into Night Ranger. And some of these songs that are on Dawn Patrol will originate from stereo. Now they'll get Night Rangerized. You know, going into the record, when they are Ranger in 1980, they do a demo at uh, Gary Peel's house, who Gary Peel, guitarist for currently Boston, but at the time he was Sammy's guitar player, Sammy Hagar's. And on that demo that they did, you know, were some songs that never made it on to night Ranger albums. One song being, uh, there's a song called diary of a madman, which kind of becomes touch of madness. Carry on Sonny, from your big life record that you enjoyed. That was actually on an original demo called Mr. Carry on. They had a song called tonight, Again, Diary of a Madman, Play Rough, Can't Buy Me a Thrill, which was Can't Find Me a Thrill. And then why it's kind of important is two songs that end up on Midnight Madness were actually written and demoed for Dawn Patrol. The first song Night Ranger ever wrote together was Let Him Run, which is the last song on Midnight Madness. And then the iconic song Sister Christian was written and demoed for Dawn Patrol. And they decided to leave it off along with Don't Let Him Run with Pat Glasser basically telling them guys, you're going to be run ragged for, you know, a couple years, and then they're going to want an album real quick. It's better to, you know, have some stuff here sitting there for the second record. So, you know, I just think it's part, you know, just interesting and, you know, part of the story that we're going to be talking about Don Patrol. And while all this album is being released and, they're touring the world. Sister Christian is just sitting there.
2: Yeah. And originally, I may be wrong about this, but originally that was, it wasn't called Sister Christian, right? It was called like motoring or something.
5: Sister Christy. Which is, Chris, you know, Christy, Christine is, is um, Kelly's sis, younger sister. Right. Okay. And so he's singing Sister Christy. The guys are hearing Sister Christian. Yeah. And he's like, "No, it's Sister Christie, but you know what hey? That sounds actually pretty good, right, and that's how that lyric kind of morphed into Sister Christ. you know the more and more I dig into various
2: bands histories i I start to find that this is a normal ongoing pattern with bands. They have songs that that are in you know in the vaults or on demos that don't show up if at all till much later albums. I mean Van Halen notorious for that, right? Van Halen had songs that they were playing in clubs that ended up on, you know, 1984.
5: (laughs) So Mm -hmm. and one thing that can't be as overlooked in the history is how important Fitz was. Fitz was the name in the band.
2: Yeah, I know that's that's hilarious. I didn't learn that till today. I really had no idea about his history, till I started digging into some things, I found that out, and I found that very interesting. Uh, is that he actually uh, had a name? And go ahead and tell us what is the history of Alan Fitzgerald Fitz?
5: Before Sammy Hagar was Sammy Hagar, you know they knew each other. David Lauzer, who's been on our podcast, told some great stories. Was with well, friends with Sammy before? Again, Sammy was Sammy, and. Sammy joins Montrose, the second r- record with Sammy, Paper Money, that's Fitz on bass. It's crazy to hear these guys talk about how great Fitz was as a keyboard player. They said he was an even better bass player. So he's a bass player on Paper Money with Sammy. Then Sammy leaves and they get, uh, I forget his name, and he's on those records. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he goes, he's in Sammy's solo band, 78, 77, 78. He goes back to Ronnie Montrose. He's in Gamma, which had some, you know, mild success. He's on that first Gamma record. So when he forms, helps form Night Ranger, you know, he's got these connections. And one of them is Gary Peel from Sammy's band. And they use his studio to record these demos. And then they use, you know, Sammy. You know, Sammy is some of the you know, right after Brent saw him with Kiss, they toured early 83 for two or three months, I think, with Sammy. You know, Fitz was very important.
2: The other thing about Fitz that I learned today is that he went on, once he left Night Ranger, to play uh, offstage keyboards for Van Halen. So, again, there's that Sammy connection, you know, the Sammy, the Montrose, it's all coming back and going full circle because he ends up in the uh, Van Hagar band on tour playing keyboards off stage which found you know extremely interesting did not know that
5: the uh from lawful carnal knowledge tour he's listed in the liner notes of the live record he did balance and uh i think he also did the some of the maybe 2004 tour with Hagar. all
2: right so let's move on to the album cover we'll start off with you sonny what's your thoughts on this album cover
3: You know, the very large array uh, being on the front of the album cover, and then it's like a picture with art added, and then the back of the cover is similar, right? It's a picture of the band with art added. Yeah, they're being Which is weird. I don't have a problem with the album cover. I think, you know, it fits the Dawn Patrol kind of thought process. Uh, I think Alan, you know, standing in military position on the back, of the album cover is a little weird where everybody else is a little more relaxed rocker. Alan looks like he's ready to go into the military. But, you know, you got good looking guys. If you're not going to put them on the front of cover, you're going to have to put them on the back cover because good looking guys in 1982 sells. I think it was a good album cover. I like that the colors pop. You know, it's you don't normally see pictures with art added. That's not normal on album covers. So it's unique.
2: Yeah. Brent, your thoughts on the album cover?
4: Yeah, the album cover, it's pretty cool. I remember the satellite dishes you would see in people's yards. They weren't nearly this big. Um, this is what, someplace in Arizona, Josh, I believe? New Mexico. New Mexico. Okay, thank you. Um, no, I think it's cool seeing all the satellite dishes, and I love how the rays are being shot off the cover. to go to the back, and you see what the rays, where they land, it's each member of the band, and, you know, it's different. I can give you a little origin story on how that came about if you'd like to know. Please. Kelly Keggy was sharing with us that, um, Joyce Bogart, of all people, um, going back to Boardwalk, we, you know, like I said, we're not going to get into the Boardwalk stuff, but Neil Bogart, who owned Blanket Records, started, um, Boardwalk. And so they were having dinner and Joyce Bogart says, Oh, I got the perfect idea for the back of the album cover. We're going to put you guys in. A- is it griffith observatory in los angeles yeah yes okay they um went to the woods there and they were all standing on the red lights this was all joyce's idea and that's the origin of the back of the album cover which you know it's pretty cool and sunny as you said about bits standing there all stiff if you go back and look at pictures of 45 covers those will be standing sideways doing that yeah It just, I think it was Fitz's thing of being different, you know? Yeah.
2: I like the album cover. I think it pops. I think what pops the most out of the album cover is that logo, the Night Ranger logo, which is still Absolutely. around. And in fact, it's the Fans in Motion logo almost, right? You guys made that into the Fans in, in Motion logo. One other thing about the Night Ranger logo, and it reminds me a lot of this, and I don't know if this is where they got their ideas, but as a kid growing up. Before MTV, I used to watch Night Flight Flight (laughs) on USA and saw a lot of videos back then on Night Flight. So old, yeah. And uh, that logo uh, for Night Flight is very reminiscent of the top half of the Night Ranger logo, right?
4: Steve and I can't tell my Andy, the other co-host. Andy and I still quote Night Flight commercials. We'll do the "This is Ian Hanna. You watch Night (laughs) Flight. And then you got spinal tap, and you hear "Good Night right? Hey, we'll, yeah. we'll just do that. It's
2: stupid. I mean, I saw some of the some of the iconic videos on Night Flight yeah. before I did on MTV. Some really old, like Van Halen dance the night away, and I think I saw. Honestly, I think I saw a Def Leppard photograph on Night Flight before I saw it on MTV. But anyway, I dig it. I think it's pretty cool. Uh, real quick, Josh, your thoughts on the album cover?
5: Well, the Night Ranger logo is different on the Dawn Patrol than it is on the rest of the albums. Now, they bring it back, you know, on a few other things in the 90s. But uh, look at the R's on Ranger uh-huh, on the Dawn Patrol album and then compare it to all the other ones and you'll notice a difference in the logo. And then another thing probably needs to be mentioned because they still talk about it in concerts now is, you know, we all know that Ranger Night Ranger was originally called Ranger. There's a country band in Kentucky called the Rangers who we actually found one of the guys and had him on the podcast. And so Night Ranger decided, or Ranger decided, we need to be called something else so we don't get sued. They had the song Night Ranger, they became Ranger. And then the the urban myth is that they printed 10,000 copies of Dawn Patrol with just the Ranger logo. And they still talk about it, and it's a good story. (laughs) It's a good story. (laughs) Listen, I've been buying Night Ranger albums for 40 years, whatever, 35 years. I got everything. I've never seen a Ranger logo. Now, the story is they printed 10,000 of them, figured out they have this other band, and they destroyed them all. So one of two things happened. Either they destroyed every single copy, 10,000, right? And you got to remember, Boardwalk Records is basically Casablanca. It's Neil Bogart. It's Bruce Bird. who Bruce Byrd was with Kiss. I mean, he was a big guy with uh, the solo records and, you know, Dynasty Unmasked. And we know that there wasn't very good quality control, right? You know, I mean, if you collect Kiss vinyl, there's all kinds of mistakes out there. Um, So either all 10,000 copies were destroyed or it never existed. It's
3: B. I think it never existed, but they got charged. Let's put it that way.
5: I
2: heard that Ranger, (laughs) the country Ranger, actually issued a cease and
5: desist. I don't know if that's true, but I read that. When we talked to Britt Gilmore, Britt, the Rangers were basically three brothers. They didn't know any of that story until we contacted them in 2020. There was never a cease and desist, anything like that. Their story is just crazy as well. I mean, just drugs and, you know, managers scamming them and stuff like that. But uh, but no, that don't. they never... It, they didn't know anything about them. They weren't that big. Gentlemen, who, who asked for water?
2: Diane, bring the water in. Very kind, Jack Blades. Nice to, to see you. Again, great to see you. Please thank introduce you. me around. Watson, Jeff, sir. welcome back. Over here.
0: Fitzgerald Fitz.
2: Thank you, sir, very much. Uh, we'll come uh, right Man here. Brad, welcome back. Thank you. And
0: Kelly Keggy on drums. Hey, Kelly
6: Way you move It in the way that you move
3: so we open the record with Don't Tell Me You Love Me, and Josh, I want to get your thoughts on this first. I would say, in my opinion, one of the best songs ever to intro a band to the world, ever. Give me your thoughts on this song.
5: Listen, it's Night Ranger. They're the best band ever. I think you could put uh, any song up there, and I would agree with you, but I, I think yes. I mean, Don't Tell Me You Love Me, 1982. How many songs don't stand the test of time? 1982, you thought it was great. 2023, you
3: listen to it like... Well, you're going to be mad at me later because I'm going uh, to share a couple with you. <laughs>
5: but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it still sounds fresh. It still sounds great. You're not embarrassed to you know crank it in front of your friends or anything. I mean, a lot of stuff from 1982, you can't say that on. And uh, yeah, I mean, just being that your your first single, your first track one on side A, You you know, it's it's, I think you're right, man. Sonny, you know, you may not really be from San Francisco, but you nailed this. one. (laughs) And then, Brent, I was thinking, right. Think
3: about Priest is already out there. Maiden's already out there. Scorpion's already out there. These guys, was it on purpose, probably, that they go, you know what? You're going to have to know what Brad and Jeff are all about right out of the gate.
4: I think you're absolutely correct, especially with Brad coming from Ozzy. They had to make a statement. And it is a statement tune from beginning to end. It hits you, but it's melodic and it's memorable. And the guitars are just wailing on it. Not to mention how great the keyboards complement the song on top of that. It's a well-crafted song. And for it to be the first time you're going to hear a band, it's not forgettable.
3: And Stephen, you knowing uh, you know the kind of music I like, this could have been written by Sammy. Right. Like, there's no chance this doesn't hit my ear right because of the way it's written. Right. And so I remember from the first time I heard it, Stephen, I was like, God, damn, what the hell is
7: that?
2: Yeah, it's literally the same impression that I think. Well, all four of us had, and then anybody else that listened to it. For me, at the time in 1982, I'm a huge Maiden and Priest guy and Scorpions guy. Like all three of those bands, all three bands have a dual guitar attack. So for these two guys to come on the scene, man, you took notice. I mean, that was the first thing that jumps out at you. The song is written by Jack Blades. And he sings it as well, but it's Jeff and Brad out front. It's the Jeff and Brad show. I mean, the melody's great on the song. It's memorable. I love this song. And it's my first introduction to Night Ranger, and that's what hooked me. I was I was in.
5: I think that opening lick was something Jeff came up with. Like he practiced, it was slower, and basically they sped it up and that became that that signature lick at the very beginning. And what's great, you know, again, with Sonny saying, you know, maybe the best opening to a record is every member shines. You know, you got Jack singing, and Kelly's just, you know, his drums are fantastic through it. Fitz has got his parts, you know, that's that part that kind of slows it down out, out of the solos. And then what's great is, you know, on some Night Ranger songs, you only get Brad doing a solo or Jeff doing a solo, but this You get Brad at his best, and then when, you know, your ears are bleeding and you don't think you can take it anymore, all of a sudden, Jeff jumps in and, you know, follows him. Great opening song. Yeah. Still stands the test of time.
3: So then we go to the second song, Sing Me Away, and Josh, for me, like, if you're going to have two singers, I guess I got to hear them right away. And so... Night Ranger does a good job. And, you know, whether that's a record company, whether that's a producer that says, look, the first eight minutes of your guys' life, everybody needs to hear what the two singers are going to sound like. And you need to hook in the guys and the women in two songs. And I think we got the two songs that can do it. And uh, for me, Sing Me Away being the second song, it's a good idea.
5: Yeah, I mean, Sing Me Away, you know, wasn't a major hit, but it's. You know, you don't you go to a Night Ranger concert expecting to hear certain songs and sing me away is still one of those great story about when they wrote it was Jack and Kelly are working for a floral company that Jack's mother in law owns. They're at the San Francisco, maybe art gallery. Right. And they got a big floral thing every year. And so like Jack and Kelly are going back and forth. Yeah. What if we do this? And what if we do this? And so Jack sits down on a chair. You know, like, tell Kelly more about it. And the chair's part of the museum, and it has an alarm on it. So the alarm goes off, the police show up, all because they were so into writing Sing Me Away and talking about it. A little history there. But, uh, yeah, you're right. You get Jack right off the bat, and then you get Kelly, who, you know, I think Kelly's very underrated as a vocalist. I mean, fantastic vocalist. And you get that... I guess kind of like what night rangers known for you get don't tell me you love me hard rock and then you get that what they called stainless steel rock right kind of like polished rock pop and then you know Steve you're talking about the uh, dual guitars that's one of the best dual guitar solos that they got in their catalogs. Um, Brad and Jeff they're playing those solos so uh, again stands the test of time.
3: And Brent, for me, like, it's almost even more pop rock of a chorus than Absolutely. Don't Tell You what Love Me is, right? So you got to remember, it's end of 82, so you do got to hit the radio at some point. And this sounds like it's written for radio.
4: And what's fantastic is it shows the differences between the two singers. Right away, your first impression is Jack is going to be the heavy one. He's going to be the quote-unquote Gene Simmons. You know, and Kelly is going to be the guy that's going to bring a different tempo in, a different style. And what I love so much about that song is, I mean, I love when you could sing the guitar parts. I, I, I love a great, memorable solo. But when the solo actually becomes part of the song, if you know what I mean.
5: I mean, I feel the same way. I know what Brent's saying is the solos are so memorable that you can almost sing them just like mm-hmm. you wouldn't yeah. I mean, it's yeah.
7: it's
5: there. It.
7: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Now, Stephen, what's interesting to me is for somebody like you, who is also got blackout, right? So you're listening, don't tell me you love me. You're like, oh, my God, this album's going to be awesome. My guess is your first listen, this song ain't awesome. Because you're like, well, wait a second. What the hell just happened? We just went soft here.
2: Well, no, that's not the case, because remember, my history, what got me to the blackouts and the Van Halens was the AOR FM radio rock, right? The foreigners and the, the bands like that. So that got me to where I was a hard rock, heavy metal head. So for me, a song like Sing Me Away, you still have the fat guitar riff that is out front. And they mixed uh, the keyboards just right to where they're not overpowering the song. This is what I complain about so much today. It's like, I don't hate that you have a keyboard player in the band as long as you mix the keys tastefully in the back of the guitar. I need to hear the guitar first. Sing me away, you hear the guitar first. It's out front. So, you know, Kelly Kagey wrote this song. Now, here's a tidbit of information that I'm going to confess up front to everybody. Remember, this is 1982 and everything's not visual. So I don't have, I haven't seen Night Ranger in concert. I've only seen Don't Tell Me You Love Me. I didn't know that it was a different singer. I didn't know that they had two singers for the longest time. I had no clue. You know, I mean, I can listen now and go, oh, yeah, okay, I see the difference in, in Kelly and Jack's voice. But back then, their voices, they weren't so different. It's not like, you know, it's not like Rod Stewart and, you know, I don't know, Rob Halford. You know what I mean? It's not so their voices aren't that different. They meld very nice. They're very sort of clean. I mean, both their voices are fairly clean and melodic. So uh, I n- never knew that they had two singers back then. I had no clue about it. And so, yeah, that's just, it's something. This is a, a song with a great melody, good mix of riffs. It's a great, uh, I uh, I love calling it stainless steel rock. I mean that's that's fantastic. That's perfect. That's what it is. Stainless steel pop rock.
4: Now, what I want to ask you guys is, as far as timeline goes, I was 13 years old, so I'm already listening to Loverboy at this point, and pop radio was a mixture of everything. So, if you wanted to hear Bob Seger and Led Zeppelin, you're you're hearing all that on Top 40 radio. And so to hear Night Ranger heavy, but yet with the pop-centric sound, it all made sense to me. So, like when, you know, Sonny, you said, well, well, Steven, for, you know, get coming off Blackout and you're hearing Sing Me Away, you know, he was expecting a different answer out of you. Are you in the same age bracket I was in at that time, or?
2: No, in 82, I was... I was a sophomore in high school, so I'm in okay. the middle. I'm in the middle of what I consider my grown-up rock years. So I'm 16 years old at this point. I'm cruising the mall with my friends, right? I got a buddy that drives. He's got a killer stereo in his car, and we're cruising the mall, cranking the the stereo to 11 at this point on the weekends. So, you know, the point I was making is that I already loved stuff like Foreigner. And that classic rock that was being played on the radio very heavily. Bands like Night Ranger, Maiden, Priest, they weren't really being played on the radio. These were, these were bands I was discovering through magazines and going out and purchasing the albums. So I was in the height of purchasing. Uh, you know, Dawn Patrol and purchasing Screaming for Vengeance and purchasing Killers and and things like this, but I also had Foreign 4 and Head Games and and etc.
4: I understand, yeah. I was in my quote-unquote coming-of-age era, <laughs> part of my life at that point. But yeah, I was getting all that as well. My dad would buy the Foreigner 8-tracks and the Argo Speed Wagons, uh, mm-hmm. the Bostons, you know.
3: Yeah, I'll. uh, Before I go to the next song, I'll tell you. So let's go to beginning of '86, right? So I'm a senior in high school, and I will tell you that the guys who love Iron Maiden do not like Poison. Mm -hmm. The guys who love Metallica don't like Scorpions anymore because Savage Amusements out. Everybody loves Y&T because from the Bay Area, and if you ask them about Night Ranger, they all say meh. Because of Sister Christian. Right. So there's this divide starting to happen on there's the actual rockers, there's the actual metalheads, and then there's a bunch of people selling albums that nobody wants to like anymore because it's not cool. Right. And that's kind of what's
2: happening. Well, you know what's interesting about that, and I never really thought about it until just now, but you know, it it is interesting to think about because honestly, when I was in high school And I, like I said, 1970, (laughs) yeah, not 1970s, (laughs) the eighties. The point is, is that I did love all this stuff. I came in on the sticks and foreigner and Boston, all this stuff that was on the radio. I discovered bands like Maiden and Priest through magazines and went and purchased albums. And, you know, even the early days of Metallica, which were the very beginnings of thrash, it was okay to like all that stuff like you right. were either that that stuff all fell under the metal umbrella and you were either a metal head or you weren't and it didn't you know it was guitar oriented rock and it was if you did that you were a head we what we called the heads right the potheads if you did that you were a head and you you rocked, right? And it was all of that stuff. Somewhere down the line, and I can't pinpoint exactly when it was, maybe after glam, maybe right during that glam period of hard rock or something, somewhere there was a separation where you were either a really, you know, a heavy metal head, or you were too pretty and liked this other stuff. And it wasn't cool to like, you know you either liked one or the other i don't know where that division came in maybe with the invention of thrash metal i don't know but there was a division where there wasn't division before at at one point
0: we interrupt this program to bring you a special report look at all the people
6: here tonight I got to make an announcement right here. Can you hear me out there?
2: It's time to take a quick break in the action from this week's episode. Sonny and I just wanted to thank all of you, the listeners, for joining us each and every week. Whether you just found us today or have been listening for multiple episodes, we love your passion for music and rock and roll in general. We consider you all part of our Loud Minority family. Always remember you can communicate with us a few different ways. If you don't mind Facebook, head over to the Growing Up Rock Loud Minority Facebook group and be part of the conversation. It's a private group and all you have to do is ask to join, answer a few rock and roll questions, and you're in. If you despise Facebook, which many people do, then send us an email to growinguprock at gmail.com. We get everything there. You can follow us on Twitter and Insta at GrowingUpRock, which is one word: G R O W I N U P R O C K. In the event you feel entertained by our podcast, we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode, and go leave us a five-star review either at Apple Podcast or PodChaser. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program.
3: All right, let's get back. All right, so third track we got "At Night She Sleeps," and Josh, here's where with Jacks and Kelly's songwriting, simple things like musical accents after "At Night She Sleeps" right that, that that little thing makes it instant radio doable, and that's magic.
5: Now listen, "At Night She Sleeps." I love the song. I love Kelly's voice, but, you know, there's certain parts like some of the keyboard parts that, you know, even when I was seven, I was like, eh, you know, (laughs) you know, Uh, what's the what's the part I hate? The uh, The, the um, Scooby-Doo
4: part, that's what Eric Levy calls it.
5: <laughs> do, 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 this is yeah. Do, 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 yeah I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. You know, where it's like dun 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 dun. You know, yeah. yeah. It's the techno pop.
3: It's the techno pop. Yeah, it. it's yeah.
5: like um. You know, that's you know. So it's uh, very
4: much of of its time.
5: Yeah. So to me, there's a couple songs that don't age well, but they're okay. I mean, their listeners are a shit ton worse. Yeah. To me, it's you know that's. Getting into a little bit of a weak spot, you know, but hey, if that's your weak spot on a record, you're doing pretty good. Yeah,
3: Brent, I thought it was interesting that after Sing Me Away, they come back with a chugging riff again. So it was like, hey, don't forget, we're still rock.
5: Hmm.
4: I don't want to get ahead of myself because I normally do. The album is, is put together so well as far as song after song after song. Like to Josh, this might be a filler track to me. No, I, I love it. It, it, it. It's very much like I said of its time. It, it's what I would have heard on regular radio. They say, I think we even said it last night. You've got all your life to write your first album. What the hell, a first album this is, you know.
2: What is it that night she sleeps is a song that was from the first album, and there's a cars kind of s keyboard in there and because we were been rehearsing it we we're like oh my god listen to that it's like <laughs>
7: and
2: we we're like oh my god this is unbelievable I remember <laughs> doing this track we never played it i
6: don't think ever
3: And, Stephen, you can get an idea of Jack's got a little, you know, he shows the rock on that first song. You got Kelly that kind of shows a little bit of his soul on that second song. And to me on this one, Jack's got a little bite to him, which is nice for rock.
2: Yeah, look, uh, all the stuff that Josh said that he hated, I actually like on this song. So uh, I do agree with Josh in the fact that this song is very of the time written by uh, both Jack and Kelly, and I guess Kelly sings on it. The song moves, but again, to me, has a great melody, has a good course. I like the course at the end with the keyboard interludes that go in and out. It keeps it interesting for me, and it's a little poppy, but it still rocks, you know? So again, as long as they're keeping the guitars there and out front for me, even whether they're intertwining some of these keyboard interludes or whatever, for me, it works, and it keeps me interested, and it keeps me rocking. That's really all I care about, so I'm I'm good with this song. Next song we got is
3: Call My Name. Josh, you know, you kind of get a little bit of Jack's softer voice here. Thanks to Piano Melody, thanks to the dy- dynamics that the song's written by, and I uh, kind of like Jack with that little softer voice a little bit.
5: This is one of the rare moments where me and Brent are in a grants. This is pretty much me, myself and Brent's favorite song. You know, what's crazy is, you know, record labels never thought Jack had a top 40 voice. Rubicon, they didn't let him sing any of the hits. Uh, with Sister Christian, they wanted the label wanted Kelly to sing Sentimental Street and Goodbye, which were written by Jack. And that's why high enough was like a personal feat for him, because it was able to say, hey, I can sing a top 10 hit. But I think we saw it with this song that he has the range to sing that softer stuff. And lyrically, it's one of my favorite songs. I mean, just starting out, you know, I hear a voice over the sound of the city and with the piano playing, you you know, you, it creates pictures in your head. It's a different Night Ranger song, it's hard to describe, but to me, it's probably my favorite Night Ranger song. And uh, if it's not yours, I don't really want anything to do with you. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess I should hang up now. (laughs)
3: So, Brent, (laughs) here's my problem with the song. Oh. Yeah.
5: Who's got control of the mute button?
3: I don't need like a minute of Sounds of the City. I think it's stupid. I think it's stupid to hear the horns and the the sirens and the – I'm just like, okay, I, why?
4: I don't understand why it needs to be there. That's because you grew up in San Francisco. Me growing up in Cincinnati,
5: I needed it. <laughs> Listen, if you grew up in San Francisco, you would know that that's the sound of the city. I know that
4: that's the it. sound of the city. I don't need
3: it on yeah, tape. Yeah, you
5: heard that all the time. We didn't. <laughs>
4: yeah. I'm only um, recently discovering that in Cincinnati, you know.
2: Let me let me clue you two in that are new to this podcast uh, and this is your first visit, but Sunny doesn't like to waste a lot of time i hate wasting time i i look at it a little bit differently i look at it as textures and mood settings and so i don't mind a certain intro to a song here there i personally don't mind this section with the sirens and stuff i think it builds the uh drama of the song and i'll talk about that when Sonny calls on me but yeah sunny doesn't Sonny has no time to waste, and and this is, and this is wasteful when you call when he calls my name. So, see,
3: when I want sounds of the city, I just roll down the window.
4: Well, <laughs> it, this song is epic in every sense of the word. From the slow build, it just goes for the the, the jugular, in my opinion. Not not Metallica jugular, not not nothing like that. The lyrically. I think it's Jack at his jacket is finest. And then I love, after all that buildup, it goes right back to the slow. It goes out the way it came, came in. And I just think it's a perfect song, perfect Night Ranger tune.
2: out there. We recorded them many times. So Sing Me Away, Penny. Uh, we re- recorded Eddie, you know, Eddie's Coming Out Tonight. Some of the other harder rock songs that weren't hits from the first album, like Don't Tell Me You Love Me wasn't written yet. Sing Me Away was, but my Sister Kristen had been written, but it wasn't on the first record. We kind of said, you know, we had uh, another song called Call My Name, which was actually Something we actually liked better at that time. And so we recorded Call My Name as the ballad.
3: Steven, although I agree that Jack sang this well. Don't don't get me wrong there. And Josh saying, you know, hey, you know, he gets a chance to kind of show what he can do. But he mentioned, you know, he showed what he could do in High Enough. Dude, a monkey could have sang with Tommy Shaw and High Enough would have been a number one hit. Oh my oh Lord. Lord. <laughs>
7: You've never heard me sing. <laughs>
3: anybody could have saved with Tommy Shaw on high enough and it would have been a hit (laughs) All
2: right, okay so let me me speak my piece of this Sonny you know I hate slow songs I mean Jesus (laughs) Christ this band was rocking they were kicking my ass out of the gate and then they get to this damn song and they slow it down it's written by Jack Blades it's sang by Jack Blades 3 minutes and 42 seconds Slowed down a bit, but Sonny, I love it. It's a fantastic song. So they slow it down just a little bit, but it's not really a ballad to me. I'm not typically a lyrics guy, but I still found drawn into these lyrics because as Josh pointed out, they paint a very good picture, which we'll find even further down in this album, Night Ranger does a really good job of painting a picture within a song and i'll talk about that a little bit later on but i like the lyrics i they still found a way to rock this song off i like the dynamics in this in this song where it goes you know it goes from nice kind of calm mellow to heavy and rocking the bridge i love the bridge right before the solo section I think that bridge is is fantastic. Uh the way they build their way over to that solo section and uh it just I don't know if epic is the right word. I know that's what Brent used, but it's a 3 minute and 42 second song. So I don't it, epic is a little bit different to me, but but it is a good tune and I do dig it and uh I'm good with this song even though it's slower, which normally I am not.
5: Yeah, this is a very big like point in your guys's podcast career because like what episode is this like three hundred and ninety four hundred and fifty something like that? But this is the point where it's actually been proven that Steven is the brain. Oh my god, <laughs> dude! Ooh.
3: You All don't right? listen enough
5: because that listen. dumbass <laughs>
3: thinks nothing under seven minutes is epic.
5: That is probably <laughs> the spot on critique I've heard. I mean, I'm amazed by oh. it.
3: Um, wait, wait so till listen, you hear me I later. Guess- you're going to really be if mad. If I
5: didn't know better, Stephen, I would think you were from San Francisco.
3: <laughs> There's a song later that, uh, yeah. All right. All right. Let's get back to it. So, next song we got is Eddie's coming out tonight. And Josh, uh, can somebody explain to me who Eddie is? Who is Eddie?
5: Who? Well, personally, Eddie coming out tonight is my favorite song with the word trousers in it. You know, you don't get enough rock songs with the word trousers. <laughs> so... That's number one. If you listen, I think, maybe Brent, 35 years in the night, I think it's recorded on there. Jack tells the story, and I might be meshing that story with, he, you know. He people. just
2: recently told the story on Eddie Trunk, so you can tell me, and I'll tell you whether it's right, because he just so there, told this.
5: There was, there's a area in San Francisco, um, Sonny, I'll kind of school you a little bit on this, called the Tenderloin. Yeah. Okay. Small club, maybe held 50, 100 people. You know, they he tells the story of Brad would walk on the tables and spill everybody's beer. But there was a guy who always showed up there, loved him. His name was Eddie. Um, didn't say much, always had beautiful girls with him. You know, they think he's, you know, probably doing, you know, in the illegal trade business of, you know, some, you know, booger candy or something. And, uh, yeah, he it was just some guy who was always there, kind of mysterious that they was always at the shows and always had fun, you know, seeing them. So when Jack's writing a song, he kind of thinks of that, you know, you get some of the lyrics always wears white and the tenderloin life, which, you know, as a seven year old, I think he likes tenderloin sandwiches or something, but, but again, that's an area of San Francisco. And, um, so I think that's kind of the story now, again, how much of that is myth and truth and a good story. Uh, You know, that's to be determined. But that's where that Eddie story comes from.
2: And that is the story that he told to Eddie Trunk just literally like two weeks ago when I listened. Uh, He told that at Zach's story. So I think that that's probably pretty uh, accurate.
5: And what's unique, too, is you always kind of think of this as a Jack song. But, you know, Kelly's the first songwriter on it. I always I forget about that. You know, Kelly actually. You know, Is the first songwriting credit on this And not Jack So Brent with Eddie
3: coming out tonight And they do it later on too They do it again here uh, In another song too But when there's a lot of words And Jack's got to kind of tell the story I guess it's harder to be melodic In the verses But then that whole he likes to rock He likes to roll Like they got a way to put the hook in somewhere Just in case we lost you here for a second Come on back there's a hook.
4: Yeah, very same, sing- um, very singable. Hardest part for me was um, being 13 years old and not understanding what a tenderloin life was, and I convinced myself he was singing tender young life. Oh, it was until, gosh, 10 years ago I found out about the tenderloin district. Had no idea, but any event, again, it paints a picture, and, and I think I think it's constructed very well. Um, I love how. Um, and, not st- and we'll, we'll get with Stephen here in a second, because it's got that slow build at the beginning until that guitar kicks in. But no, it, it, it's a cool tune. It's many a fan's favorite off this record. I know that for certain. Stephen,
3: for me on this song, here's my problem with this song. I think you can know what it is. I love the guitar noodling. I love the guitar no- solos everybody's got to shut up during the guitar solo like no backup shit no underlying vocals no fucking sirens nothing Mm -hmm. everybody shut the fuck up during the guitar solo you have the whole other song to do whatever the hell you want it just bugs the fuck out of me when that happens oh
4: he likes to rock
2: oh dude nothing about this song bothers me because Uh, this is a staple for me. This is absolutely one of my favorite Night Ranger songs of all time. That intro into that big fat ass riff. I love the lyrics. And again, I'm not a big lyric guy. They paint a picture. As I've said before, this is going to be a theme. They do this very well in this song. This, I can picture this guy. I picture this guy in white. I think he's a pimp with nose candy. That's what I think this guy is. And that's for real. Uh the outro solos and the harmonies coming out of this uh song, the the guitar harmonies coming out uh uh in the outros. Wow. Holy crapola. These two guys, man, they cemented themselves, Watson and Gillis on this song. For me, they cemented themselves. What a way to close out uh side one of my cassette man this was killer for me i absolutely love this song still to this day love it love it love it love it
3: All right, so we flip the record over, and the first song we have is Can't Find Me a Thrill, and Josh, I like the song. It's just the chorus is not the most dynamic chorus on the planet, like, it's a little boring, compared to some of these other songs.
5: I'll agree with you somewhat. I think with Can't Find Me a Thrill, it's it's a song I've always enjoyed. I think it's like the gritty, it's more one, one of the more gritty songs. I mean, you know, cocaine and women, they treat you the same. Like yeah, I'm six years old, and I'm like, that's 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 shit. I need to know, you know. Uh,
3: They're both about the same know, price too.
5: I, I don't <laughs> need to know sing me away and all that stuff. I need to know that cocaine and women are going to treat me the same. And I learned, I I, I learned early. I liked how women treated me, so cocaine's got to be the same way, right? You know, uh, eventually, you know, you find out no, but. um uh, to me, the song has always sounded thin, like production-wise, where, you know, you talk about Eddie, right? And you talked about that heavy, crunchy riff, and you talk about, you know, the last track of the record, Night Ranger, or Don't Tell Me You Love Me. It's thick, and to me, can't find me a thrill as much as I love it. Has always just had a thin sound to it. Um, now, I rank it above Eddie's coming out tonight, just because they don't use the word trousers. But uh that should rank it below right there. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have a problem with the course. I think you know it falls a little bit below some of the other songs, but again, if this is one of the songs that falls below, you have got a pretty pretty good record. But to me, like I said, I've always enjoyed it and yeah, Sonny's probably gonna say something else that makes me mad. No,
3: not on um, not on this song. <laughs> Brent, on this one, I like also, and they do this in a few songs, where under the verses, there's like this dual guitar melody going, right? And that works. That, to me, enhances the song. When the singer's talking or somebody's talking, when somebody's doing a guitar solo, that pisses me off. But this part makes me happy. I I love that 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 pisses
4: you off. I love that. (laughs) Um, You know, flipping over to side two, I can tell you right now, this is Jack's side for me. Um, Jack wins on, on every level. But the song is your standard rocker. It's not really painting a picture unless you, um, you know, we've talked about it on our show. It doesn't sound bad. It, everything about it for me is good. It, it works. And anytime that Jeff and Brad are doing the dual guitar, it's magic for me.
3: And then, Stephen, you get a live type ending to the song because you got to have it because... Brad and Jeff are absolutely going off. (laughs) So you can't really like fade out.
2: So for me, Can't Find Me a Thrill and Eddie's Coming Out Tonight, I always felt like we're sort of like brother-sister songs simply because one ends side one and one starts side two. And it's not that the songs sound the same, but they both have that big, fat riff. And so these songs are a little bit more... (sighs) um oh let me think of the right word um these songs are a little bit more just sort of straight ahead standard hard rock there's nothing really particularly um different about them but i love them because i'm a guitar riff kind of guy so when this song kicks off I love the fat riff. I love the way that uh, Night Ranger smooths out those verses and melodies, but they still have the big riffs that keep them in the hard rock world, right? So they have that ability uh, to smooth those verses and melodies out with their voices um, like Josh mentioned, cocaine and women, they all treat you the same. That's fantastic information. Duly noted as a 16-year-old. Uh, and then, again, another killer solo on this song. I mean, it's just this album is chock full of killer solos. So Can't Find Me a Thrill is a, another favorite of mine. I really like this kind of uh, rock and roll, so it works for me.
3: then we get to the next song young girl in love and josh here's you know later on it uh actually proves true but now going back to this first record and i'll end up saying this over and over in the next 12 months there's three night rangers to me there's the rocking night ranger there's the ballad night ranger and there's the movie soundtrack night ranger and to me This is the movie soundtrack. Now, I love all three. I'm not taking shots at any of them, but this could have easily been the title song to a major motion picture in 1982, and it just missed out, unfortunately.
5: Well, I think you bringing this up as a third part of Night Ranger, and this is the first song you mentioned it, this song is different from these other songs because this was a song that originated with stereo. So uh, this song and a song we're going to talk about coming up um, were the two songs that were from stereo, which was kind of more new wave. So it's got a unique sound. And Night Ranger, along with a lot of bands from that era, you know, had that, you know, they would do that movie soundtrack, get that going. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that's a fair assessment. And uh, this was the third single off the record. Didn't do much, but uh I think the best part about that is this song is Kelly's vocals. Um really stand out. It's a little bit more popish. It's kinda kinda fits in with like maybe At Night She Sleeps, you know, you know, rocks, but it's got a little bit of a pop element to it. Definitely a lot more than At Night She Sleeps, but that pop element comes from everybody was be trying to be the Cars and Blondie and you know, the knack, and they were trying that. And they, you know, did that for about six months. And this is one of the two songs that still remain from those stereo days.
3: Yeah. And Brent, that what Josh is saying completely makes sense to me because this does sound like the Cars. And I do like the Cars. And they could have had a major hit with this. But I guess you can't be everything to everybody. You can't be rocker and be techno pop. You can't be both. Brent, you like pop rock stuff like this? I
4: love perfect pop tunes, period. There's only two kinds of music, good music and bad music, as far as I'm concerned. And that's what I love about Nine Ranger, because you know, I I even say there's a fourth element, their pop-centric side. You know, when they want to be pop, they're pop. And for this, for for the money, it's great. What I what I really love about good pop songs is like when Kelly's singing and you got the guys answering him. And, you know, like when they you can come crying to me. See, I can't sing with Tommy Shaw. <laughs> but I, I, I love when songs, when, when the band, when they'll, they'll have an answer. You know, when he, when when the singer sings something, the guys will come in with their own chorus with the answer. I love that kind of stuff. And it's, it's just a good, fun song. Paces itself from beginning to end perfectly. And yet, has a kick-ass guitar solo on it.
3: even when I was listening to this the other day, I'm like, God, like, this could have been Footloose. It could have been Eye of the Tiger. Like, you sell this to the right movie, everybody on the planet hears this song.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think arguably this is the most pop tune on this record, in my opinion. To me, it sticks out from the rest of the songs. I like the course with the sequenced uh, keyboards running in the background. They have that sequencing program running the keyboard in the background of the course. Uh, I love the bridge into the solo. I mean, it's not a skipper for me. I like the song. I just think that it's arguably the most pop song on this record. This one, to me, where a song like uh, Sing Me Away is uh, stainless steel pop rock, And even Call My Name is sort of has like uh, flavors of ballady. And At Night She Sleeps, we said, is very sort of dated. This tune uh, just is straight up pop to me. And again, I like it. All right. So then we get to the next song, Play Rough. And let me
3: piss off Josh here real quick. Oh, no. I don't buy it. If Jack's trying to be angry or lustful, I'm sorry. I don't buy it.
5: All right. Number one. Any song that can have the line, you can carry on like an ice machine. Huh. It's, it's fucking art. But you right gotta there. still sell it. Uh, dude, it's sold, man. <laughs> you know, it's platinum. Uh, listen, for a first record, to have a song heavy like that to fill in between all the hits you play is a good song to have. You know, listen, I still enjoy it. Uh, yeah, you know... If I was Pat Glasser, I'd be, I may be like, Hey, you know, can we change that ice machine line? Um I mean, I get it, you know, the order I get, like, you know, you think about stuff like that, like, Hey, you know what? A refrigerator and an ice machine, those things just run and run. And you know, I mean, that's, a, you know, that's pretty amazing. But, you know, uh, yeah, I don't know how cool of a rock line it is, but uh listen, I think it fits well. I think it fits better than some of the other songs, Young Girl in Love or night she sleeps but uh i don't have any problem with it i like the acoustic you know guitars at the beginning which you don't hear a lot of acoustics on that first record i don't even know if you hear it at all besides that uh you know where night ranger you you know the acoustics start to play a bigger part throughout their career let him run you know goodbye and uh some of the other songs you know reason to be off main emotion the first part's acoustic so uh yeah, so that's the first part. Really, you hear Jeff Watson uh, acoustic playing, but uh, I think it fits, Sonny. Man, I think it's a good song. I, I buy it, man. Jack's Jack's a badass.
3: Brent, my other problem is the acoustic. The song is called "Play Rough." Hey, <laughs> come on, dude! You wasted sixteen seconds of my life.
5: Listen, I'll handle this. All right, listen. That's what it is, man. The acoustic is the you know, it's the nice where you're with the girl and you're telling you, you know. I love you, and I'll do anything. On and, a song called know, Play Rough.
3: I'm with a girl telling her I love her. After
5: a while, I'm just, Listen, <laughs> I ain't none of that I love you stuff. I'm here to take what I want. Damn it, I'm Jack Wades.
4: <laughs> now, what Steven said is I agree with a lot. I love guitar riffs. And the other thing I love in songs are chugs. Chug, 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 chug. I love a good chug. And, and this so, and this I love song, a good
2: tug too. Oh, you know, said chug. My tub, bad.
4: You know, and it's just—it's aggressive. I, I, you know, I, I buy everything it's selling. I mean, you got to consider. You know, Josh, you were too young, but back in 1983, we we didn't call girls ice machines; we called them freezers. You know, ice machines sounds phonetically better in the song than you can carry on like a freezer. Well, you, you don't buy, the the acoustic part is even rough sounding. It's not pretty. You know, it's setting it up that just like, as soon as you hear it, you're like, Oh my God. It, 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 dude, (laughs) it's just a cool, it's a good tune. It's one of my favorite Jack tunes.
5: Now listen, let's, let's get Steve's opinion because listen, I don't know if you guys. He's going to say meh. But he talked about call my name, and I sw- that was his. He peaked right there in all 800 episodes you guys have had, and I, I think he can do it again.
4: He likes jugs, <laughs> he likes jugs.
3: Yes, all right, Stephen, go ahead.
2: All right, play rough. Here's my notes on play rough. Uh, I like the nice guitar intro into the huge riff, I think it. It's fine. It's compliments, short. It, it leads right into that big, huge riff. And it's another great solo. I like Play Rough. It does. It's not a skipper for me at all. And uh, that's about it. That's all I have to say about it.
5: Oh, Listen, Lord. You know, you didn't think he would do it again, but he did. He did. Oh, my Lord. He is just, man, he's like the George Brett. You know, Play you know, Rough he, reminds me of
4: Kiss's um, Rock Bottom, except where the intro to Rock Bottom goes on a little too long.
3: Yeah, a
2: minute and a
4: half. Okay, hats. Ruck gets it just right. Yeah. <laughs> they get it just right. Yeah,
2: this one's nice, nice and short. Yeah, yeah.
3: So then the next song we got is Penny. This will make Josh happy. I'm at work today. You know, I've been listening to this album on and off in entirety for about a month now. And uh, I'm at work today, and I'm walking to go talk to somebody, and I'm humming something. You know how, like, you'll be humming something, and you'll like, what the hell am I humming? Right? And well, what was that? Penny, I got you You're so easy to read. That's what I, I just hummed that over and over and over that little
5: lick josh is fucking awesome penny is the one other song that's from stereo so penny and young girl in love were two stereo songs i think we were talking maybe off air um johnny cola from huey lewis in the news who was in the last uh, incarnation of rubicon Actually demoed a few songs with stereo, and that was one of them. So there's a recording out there with Johnny Cola actually singing that track. I like the riff from Penny, and it's, again, if that's one of your worst songs on your record, that's a good thing. To me, I just don't like, you know, like, even in 1982, uh, you know, I'm seven years old, and I'm like, who the fuck's still named Penny? You know, you might as well just be singing a song about a girl named Ethel. Right? Like there's no one named Penny. There's no one named Ethel. I just didn't like that. Now our third host, Andy, proved me wrong because in nine you know, in the eighties he got married to a girl named Ethel.
4: In ninety in the nineties, not in the eighties. All
5: right. So there's a girl out there, you know, of age in the nineties named Ethel. But uh that's just really what got me was I just didn't like the name Penny, right? For a song. You know, it's like There ain't no girl breaking your heart named Penny, right? Name it Jessica, Rachel. Those are heartbreakers, right? And interestingly enough, I've met Penny, who Jack wrote the song about, was a family friend of Molly, his wife. Met her last year. Great person. Interesting person. But I still don't like the song. (laughs) Brent,
3: it's better than Shandy. Penny's better than Shandy. Oh, I don't think
5: so. That's true.
4: That's true. <laughs> I don't think so. See, my bias against Penny was when I was in um, eighth grade, a girl named Penny Elliott liked me, and I didn't like Penny Elliott. And then the song came out, and I'm like, it reminded me of her. Um, the older I got, well, it's funny because it was when I finally, um, I had my wife's phone, and Night Ranger was here 15 years ago. And our other host Andy couldn't make it to the show, and they said we're going to play a deep cut, deep cut for you tonight. And I'm like, oh yes. And they're like, they go into Penny, and I'm like, you know, I'm emailing Andy. You ain't gonna fucking believe this. They're playing Penny, but it, it's a, it's good. It's a good tune. I, I the chorus is fun. Um, I, you know, I had to separate myself from 1983 and. And a girl in my health class, I had I had to I had to get rid of that. But something came to terms with
5: it, and yeah, it's it just a good little pop tune. Ain't right, no girl named me breaking anybody's hearts.
3: Yeah. Steven, to me, this is movie soundtrack. Night Ranger. This could have been in the movies. I love it. I agree with you. All
5: right,
2: so let's start off with this. Both the Night Ranger guys are wrong. Okay, first of all, <laughs> there's something to what Sonny said. I want it to jump in because Sonny doesn't read my notes, and I certainly don't read his, but my notes are another great riff for this tune. I think the course is simple, but I always seem to get it stuck in my head. So that says something because Sonny basically said the same thing, whereas he. Th- finds himself humming this song. It is really a simple course, but for whatever reason, it absolutely works. I love this song. I think this song is great. And guess what, Josh? When I grew up, I grew up with a girl named Penny. And she was super cute and super just kind of slutty. And I absolutely loved it. Well, I would have loved him, too. You are incorrect in saying there's no pennies because that is not true.
6: To me, I guess you're only holding out on me. I telephone, never ever home. And every time I call it drives me up the world, it's crazy to me. I took you to see all the stars in the sky.
7: You took me by
6: surprise. There isn't a doubt that's what you're talking about.
3: Josh, she didn't break his heart. Look at him. Is this story even believable? (laughs) (laughs)
5: And
4: she she didn't carry on like an ice machine. So, God.
5: Steve Steve knew a penny, and Sonny's from San Francisco. Man, you guys are just (laughs) all kinds of lines. But it's interesting, though, Sonny, you just say, you know, movie soundtrack and the other song you described, Young Girl in Love, and both those songs are from stereo. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so kind of, you know, those both originate. You know, from you know, the same source, that stereo era. Yeah. And and Penny the opening riff, I love the riff. I just, you know, it don't take much for me to turn on a song and obviously the word trousers and the uh the name Penny just don't do it for me. All right. So then we come to the last song,
3: Night Ranger. Josh, is that Jack rapping in the musical interlude? Is that him rapping? are you talking at the beginning there? no in the uh, middle
5: oh no, no like where it kind of speeds up yeah
3: he's almost rapping
5: listen man <laughs> uh, that brother's got soul on him of course he's rapping all right listen if you listen to them old temptation tracks and you hear that knuckle cracking yeah <laughs> oh, that's jack I, I tell you you know i'll let uh others i'll let steve decide if that's uh rapping or not but uh you know, this is a song where they got their name. This The band, the, the song was written before they were called Night Ranger. They were called Ranger. They had the song Night Ranger. They had to come up with a different name. They had a few other names that were considered. And eventually they just say, well, we got this song Night Ranger. Why don't we um, use that as the name? I don't think all of them are on board with it, but that's what came to be, and Jack then followed tradition with Damn Yankees. Hey, if I got a band named, you know, I gotta have a song. So Damn Yankees' first record has a track called Damn Yankees. Um, And uh, this is a song that, for the last probably at least 10 years, has been played at almost every concert. And, you know, it's even before that, it was usually, you know, in the set list. Sometimes they would take it out for Eddie. This is a song where if you go see them live, they do the extended five-man drum solo in it. I think Brent actually did a deep dive and determined that there's eight crickets chirping at the beginning. Um, uh, I, you know, I thought there was probably more, but uh, that's just how uh, that's how dedicated we are on that Fans of Motion Night Ranger podcast. Go check it out.
4: Now, I don't even know how many crickets were in it because I, I'm a drummer, so I, I would have to count the crickets in my you know. Come in on to come in on it.
5: But, you know, I think one of you guys referred to maybe another song being kind of like brother and sister. I always considered this song to be kind of like the sister song to Eddie, right? They, they both close out each side. They're both bombastic. They build up to these great guitar solos with Brad and Jeff both, you know, wailing. Yeah, this song just, it's got everything. It cuts that build up. You know it dies down, and then, kind of where you said they were rapping it you know it kind of builds back up and goes into a little bit of maybe double time. yeah, it's just a great song to end the record, and it still sounds fresh. I mean, you can still put that on today and put it up against anything, and it still competes. it still sounds good, yeah, I mean it's better than penny,
3: Brent, you said you were a drummer, and uh, I was never a musician, I wanted to be one. it wasn't good enough to be one. But I loved the bands that kept it simple so you felt like you could do it, right? Like, I'm, I'm not a Rush fan. Rush didn't sound doable to me, right? But stuff that Night Ranger and Kiss was doing felt doable. It's like, oh, I could go write that. Now, in the end, yeah, you can't just go write that. But this chorus is just so simple and just melodic and easy that they make the simple sound great.
4: Yeah, and plus it has chugs in it. <laughs> no um no seriously yeah it, it it's just a fun tune it's different than all the other tracks but yet familiar with all the other tracks because of you saying now eh, he's just singing fast but i lo- i love the tempo change of the song and then all of a sudden dent da da it goes right back into it again and and, and the and the fits complements it perfect with that little keyboard dun, 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 dun. It, it just works so well together. Oh, well
3: even where i feel bad for these guys is brad and jeff are just never really talked about as this super guitar duo because the songs are so pop rock catchy that you just never hear about them in rock circles it feels like
2: yeah and i that's criminal in my uh opinion Look, this song has been in the set now lately for a while. It seems like every time I've seen them lately, they've played this song. And I like the groove of it. I love the crazy pace pickup at the end. The solo, again, is crazy. But honestly, I'd much rather they take this out and bring back Eddie's coming out tonight for me, personally. Like, I'm good. I just I need them to switch up the set list a little bit, because... That's a big thing. Like I hear Brent say something like, Oh yeah, you know, they pulled out Penny, uh, uh, or yeah, Penny, uh, as a deep track or something. And that's one thing that I'm like severely missing, uh, with them lately. The amount of times I've seen them, like I, I just, there's so many, they've got so many great songs and I, I really wish like they would, start rotating some things in and out because i'm missing a lot of stuff it's a great way to close out the album it's another not skipper for me and so yeah it's good tune all right so i want to get everybody's top two
3: bottom two yes you have to pick a bottom two and your kind of final thoughts on the record i'll start my top two don't tell me you love me and young girl in love i love sing me away but young girl in love dude there is That song just did not get the chart love that it needed to get. And Don't Tell Me You Love Me is an iconic song. My bottom two is easy. Play rough. I just I don't buy it and can't find me a thrill. Just the chorus was kind of boring to me. My final thoughts on the album. It's a great debut album. I would put Don't Tell Me You Love Me up against Welcome to the Jungle as a song that introduces a band to the world as just as good, if not better. It's not my favorite Night Ranger album. A lot of the songs do make playlists of mine. I would say about half the album makes playlists of mine. But as they come into like big life and they're bringing back more of almost the movie soundtrack feel of Secret of My Success and all that, I actually get more into them as people are probably getting out of them because they're not as rock anymore. I'm actually getting more into them. So and that's just where I kind of stand with Night Ranger. Josh, give me your top two, bottom two, and final thoughts on the record.
5: Well, I'm tempted to say my top two are play rough and can't find me a thrill. <laughs> just for uh, spite. But uh, my number one's real easy. I'll call my name. You know, just to me, that's, you know, and it's not overplayed. You know, it's not on the greatest hits and everything like that. So it's, you know, you can still listen to it when you want and you know, not like sister Christian when it's on all the time and don't tell me you love me. I mean, how can you go wrong with that? Yeah, those are, you know, to this day, that's just still an iconic song and it never gets, uh, tiring. I think, you know, my final thoughts on the record is, uh, it's a debut album that still stands strong 40 years later, you know, even the album cover, right? Not that it was great in 1982 or whatever, but the thing is in 2023, it doesn't suck, right? That's, you know, you look back on album covers you thought were cool when you were 16, and now you look back and like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, it's, it's simple. It's great. And the album, you know, all the songs are good. Bottom two. Oh, I got to do bottom two? You got to
4: do bottom two. That's easy.
5: Uh, let's do uh, At Night She Sleeps and uh, probably uh, Young Girl in Love. You know, just... I hope Kelly doesn't listen to this. Um, but uh, uh but those are my bottom two, but uh yeah, just 40 years later this album still stands so strong and every song is good. You know, where I don't like Young Girl in Love, you know, Sunny, you know, from San Francisco, it's in his top. And that's what makes, you know, good albums good is um you know, you you got a you got a problem if we're all naming the same top 2 songs and the same bottom 2 songs. And I guarantee you know it's not gonna be the case except for Brent his number one is gonna be call my name just you know letting y'all know all right
4: Brent top two bottom two final thoughts top two call my name and sing me away sing me away is um I never tire of hearing that song live it's 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 always got to be the second or third song in the set it's it just fantastic dude bottom two would be penny a young girl in love. Uh, final thoughts. I've often said this album for me is a perfect album. So for those to be my bottom two, doesn't mean they suck. It's just they gotta fall somewhere in the ranking. But I I think it's, it's one of those debut albums for me that are, it's magical by a band that you hear and you like pretty much every track that you hear on it. And like you said, be introduced to the world with two. Fresh and upcoming guitar players, guitar heroes, I should say. I stand corrected. I apologize. Really good, solid album. Really good, solid band. Great band. I'm done. Steven, your top two, bottom two,
3: final thoughts?
2: Uh, My top two are Eddie's Coming Out Tonight and Can't Find Me a Thrill. Those are the two biggest rockers on the record. And it's just, they may be the more simplistic songs, but I love them. I love the riffs. My bottom two and personally I'll just say this up front. There are no skippers on this record for me. Uh this record is a desert island record for me. It was my first Night Ranger record. I love it to this day. I've listened to this record probably twenty times in the last month getting ready for this episode. And it up until that point, it had been, you know, quite some time since I listened to the record from start to finish. Uh and it just It made me realize how much I really love this record. My bottom two, and again, (laughs) it's just my bottom two off this record. They're not skippers for me, but Night Ranger and Young Girl in Love are my bottom two. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, my thoughts on the record
1: is it's a Desert Island record. I love it. Hey, Hollywood, you know what time it is. Let's connect it to KISS.
7: So it's late
3: 1982 Kiss has just finished uh, recording Creatures of the Night album Basically they're They Frankensteined all the guitar parts together because Ace wasn't involved. We already know that. He didn't play lead on or guitar in any of the recordings. They'd already begun struggling with finances since 1979. So they're trying to figure out how to keep Ace from telling people that he's leaving. So they do a whole promotion tour for the album with Ace being involved. Before they start the tour, though, at the end of December, they got to go find a guitar player. And remember, it's 1982, so thanks to Eddie Van Halen and Scorpions and Priest and Maiden, they feel like they got to get a shredder, so they basically settle on Vinnie Vincent because can't decide on anybody and they're running out of time. They're in rehearsals, they're trying to figure out what new songs they want to add to the set list, and they settle on this song. They rehearse the song, get it down pat, play it two times, and then never play it again for 41 years. Here is Keep Me Coming we Kiss fan. Tell me what you think about Keep Me Coming. It's everything
4: to a 13-year-old coming into his own um, lyrically. I mean, it's not something I wanted to sing around my daughters as they were growing up, but, you know, it's Paul Stanley poetry is is how I would call it. I know what you're like. You're not sleeping at night. Come on. (laughs) You know it's going to go somewhere even worse after that.
3: So Josh, Night Ranger has Sister Christian on the shelf, waiting for the next record, and Paul is writing "Keep Me Coming."
5: What is it? Uh, with each little bite, I know you're ripe. Oh, come on! That's, <laughs> you're that's, thinking maybe that's, uh, you'll stay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that seems to be on people's you know headstones and shit. You know, kind of, you know. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think this was the last song written for the album. I think that's been out there somewhere. Again, like Brent said, I think, you know, when you're a teenager, you know, fuck yeah, you know, that's, yeah, girls, broads, you know, that's right, keep me coming. Yeah, when you're, you know, slightly balding, you know, 45-year-old, you're, you know, doesn't quite hit the ears the same way. But this was a song that Kiss needed. You know, you're coming off of Unmasked, and then you're coming off The Elder, and obviously you're going in the wrong direction. You need to get back to basics and write songs, you know, about banging broads and how basic can you get it? Then keep me coming. Right. Yeah. It says in the title, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I think it was a song, you know, they they needed. They needed to get back to the basics. And what's Kiss always been about? Yeah. It's not my favorite track on the record, but uh, I don't dislike it. Anything with uh, Vinnie Vincent is good, right?
2: No.
3: No. Um, (laughs) Steven, your thoughts on Keep Me Coming? Uh,
2: I dig it. I like the riff and the groove. I love the change in the pre-course. The course itself is sort of meh, but I guess it's okay. Uh, I like this tune. It's one of the tunes I dig off this record. I like this record as a whole, but I like this song. So that puts a capper on this uh, debut uh, Night Ranger record. Uh, month one is in the books. Brent and Josh from Fans in Motion podcast, thank you so much for adding your colorful insight to this, uh, this first record. We appreciate you guys joining us on this uh, episode. Thank
5: you. Thank you. Thanks for having us
2: fans in motion podcast check out brent and josh and uh andy and any other uh folks that they have on that podcast from time to time if you want to know night ranger their podcast is all about night ranger Sonny, is there anything that you want to add before we get up on out of here no thanks for listening and josh and brent thanks for joining us today all right until next week see ya later
1: that's the show So let's shuffle, rattle, and roll us out of here until next week. Always remember, peace, love, and rock and roll. Can help out the podcast greatly by leaving us a five star review at Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Spotify. The links are in the show notes, or just drop us a line at our email, growinguprock at gmail.com. Growing Up Rock is a proud member of the Pantheon Network. Pantheon is the place for music lovers. Check us out along with many other great music podcasts on the Pantheon Podcast Network.